This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Turning a New Leaf, where we discuss the changing face of Canada as it prepares to legalize and regulate recreational cannabis across the country. Turning a New Leaf is produced by the Village Soundcast Network, and I'm your host, Sean King. Enjoy. So welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is a little bit different in the sense that we have two guests in the studio today. We've not really done that before. We've had a couple of guests when we were on the road in Amsterdam, which was fun. But today's was was different. Um, there's been a lot of talk recently in uh, in the media about the new bylaws, the municipal bylaws related to cannabis legalization. So today we've got two guests, uh, Sean Cleary, who is the counselor of District 9 Halifax West Armdale and a professor of management at Mount St. Vincent University, and Ben Sivak, who's the principal planner for planning and development in Halifax. So a little bit about each of these guests before we dig in and give uh, give ourselves a chance to talk about the, the recent announcements. So we'll start with Sean, who's a husband and father, entrepreneur, educator, and now a city councillor. He's uh, from a family of entrepreneurs and has worked on and advised many startups, also a business professor at Mount St. Vincent University, and has taught courses on entrepreneurship and management at Dalhousie, St. Mary's, Acadia, and NSCC. Sean is also a TEDxer, organizing four TEDx conferences at MSVU. I actually did a talk. I think it was at Dow, actually. It was. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> and most relevant to the current discussion is Sean is the chair of the Municipal Working Group on Cannabis for the Nova Scotia Federation of Municipalities. That is the relevance there. And for Ben, Ben Sivak is principal planner for the Halifax Regional Municipality with 13 years of municipal planning experience. He received an honors and bachelor of science from the University of Toronto and a master's of urban and rural planning from Dalhousie University, previously the manager of planning for the municipal, municipality of Kings. As a municipal planner, Ben has managed a wide variety of planning projects, including neighborhood planning, environmental planning, and comprehensive regional planning. That's a lot of planning. We do a lot of planning. <laughs> I, I guess, and relevant to this topic is that uh, I've um, organized a internal HRM working group around this topic. With every touches every every department, so we're uh, we're trying to get ourselves organized and, of course, contributing to uh, the bylaws and all the things we're doing at uh, yeah. HRM. Yeah, and how fun is that? That's interesting. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Did you guys ever imagine that in your roles, this is what you'd be doing? This would be the discussion you'd be having. Well, so when I decided to run for city politics back in uh, in early 2016, um, it was just after the federal government had got elected and said they were going to legalize cannabis. But I actually thought at that point, well, they'll deal with that. We won't have right. to touch that. Yeah. You know, if I do get elected, I get to do all that great stuff about working with development and the libraries and police and mm -hmm. fire and transit. Never once did I think that I would have to be involved in regulating cannabis. And here you are. And here I am. Ben, what about you? Oh, well, the same. I mean, I, I, probably like most Canadians, I didn't think this would actually ever happen. Um, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. until... Surprise! Yeah, surprise. <laughs> it wasn't until maybe a little over a year ago that we realized, okay, if there's actually municipal implications. We have to get organized around this. There's things we have to think about mm -hmm. at the municipal level. Well, that's a great uh, that's a great segue into where we should start this conversation is what are some of the things you have to think about? Um, let's see. Well, there's a few. Um, 
is a lot. Um, while the province and the feds are covering most of the, most of the things about the distribution and the retail model, the municipalities really get involved when it comes to nuisance about you know just neighbors getting mm-hmm. along with neighbors. Where are these things located? Whether it's uh, production facilities, that's something we're working on. Um, where where you can sell and uh, like the storefronts that's managed by the NLCC, so it doesn't really have municipal impacts, but it might in the future. Sure. Know, get to th- get to things like edibles or lounges. Yeah. Uh, or who knows if they privatize? That's def- definitely subject to municipal zoning. So you um, have to start thinking about. I mean, in some ways, you actually have to start thinking beyond what's about to happen. So so it's interesting. I never even thought of that. So if you're thinking about edibles or smoke lounges, whatever we want to call them, you now have to start going, if those are going to exist, where are the best places to put those? Yes, yeah. So Absolutely. you're already like three steps ahead of where we are. Uh, and well, I don't know about that. No, <laughs> he, that. he better I'm, be. <laughs> yeah. And can you tell me where they're going to be? <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I mean, some provinces, some some misspells, like out, out in Vancouver, Calgary, they're already there because... Their provinces are going with a, a mix or a private retail model, so they're thinking about zoning oh, and yeah. business licensing and municipal. They're, they're, they're very hands-on on municipal level, so we're able to kind of observe from there. It hasn't really that part of it hasn't impacted us, but we're definitely following and thinking about it. Okay, yeah, good. So yeah. you're you're keeping an eye on what others are doing. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things Ben's already working on is is where you can grow it. So at a commercial level, so we have the the main commercial and also mm. the. Uh, uh, the micro cultivation. So, do we grow it in industrial lands? Do we grow it in agricultural lands? Is it in the city? Mm-hmm. Is it downtown? Is it outside? We have micro breweries in our downtowns. Do we have micro cannabis? Yeah. And so, all of those different things, because the NSLC is the retail model, but we already have applications coming in, uh, federal license applicants or holders saying we want to grow it in Halifax, we want to be in, you know, Burnside, Bears Lake, out in the right. uh, Muscadabba. You know, all of these things have to be considered because mm-hmm. we have to update all of our uh, zones to make sure it's appropriate for where it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I have to admit that up until recently, I did not give a lot of thought to the municipal bylaws. And and, and in fact, so much so that when it, when it, you know, the conversation started happening around it, I was like, oh, oh, there's a whole other level we have to think about here. So can you describe, uh, I guess we know about the federal uh, laws and the federal uh, view th- of things. We know about the provincial side of things, but when it comes to the municipal bylaws, what role is it that you play? What are we really talking about here? It's, it's so uh, an, a former member of parliament once told me, if the federal government disappeared tomorrow, you might notice after a month or so. If the provincial government disappeared tomorrow, maybe after a week or two, you might notice. If the municipal government disappeared, you would notice the very next morning because mm-hmm. we're your fire, your police, your libraries, what can be built next to you, where your garbage collection, where your water, your, your everything. Yeah. And so when it comes to cannabis, um, when you are smoking it, where you're consuming it. Is mm-hmm. it in a park? Is it on a sidewalk? Is it in your private residence? Um, all of those things start to then touch the municipal uh, framework because we're the ones responsible for a lot of those different things. Uh, you know, So, for example, the federal government says you can grow four plants. So some provinces have already said this. Quebec, which may or may not be constitutional, we'll see if there's a challenge, <laughs> has said uh, no one's going to be allowed to personally cultivate cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Brunswick has said uh, you can cultivate it on your land, but it has to be enclosed in a building and it has to actually be under lock and key. We haven't gone quite that far, but within the Halifax Regional Municipality, because the provin- province of Nova Scotia said 
well, we're going to follow the federal legislation and municipalities, all 50 units across Nova Scotia can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, then all of a sudden we have to start responding to our residents and say, well, where do we do it? Uh, can you grow it in right. your backyard? And so one of the bylaws we brought in last week was looking at, well, if you're going to grow it, you can grow it in your house. You can grow it in your backyard, but it's got to be in, say, a greenhouse or a shed or a garage or some some actual physical enclosure, an accessory building. Right. And so uh, it it's surprising when you think about what the municipal government has to deal with. Because we have, for example, uh, in terms of safety, if you're putting a pool in your backyard, mm-hmm. you have to have a fence around it. It's a municipal bylaw that says in order for you to have a safe area so you don't induce a child to walk into your backyard, fall in and drown. Similarly, if you grow cannabis in your backyard, the thinking is... Uh, it's possible that a child could grab that, walk away with it, eat it. There are some uh, your neighbor. botanical <laughs> questions about when it has its potency after it's dried and cured mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of issues that we have to work through that, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, <laughs> um, it, the municipal government has to deal with those issues. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to get into the rules. Oh, you were about to say something? Oh, I just wanted to clarify on that, uh, about where you can go with that. The, the rules that uh, Council Peary talked about were about the urban part of Halifax. So sure. it, it, we call it the service boundary, but places that are water and sewer service, it's right. in the enclosed building in your, in, in your home. In the rural parts of HRM, it's it's the federal rules, so you can have four plants on your property. Not yeah. doesn't have to be enclosed. And so, the thinking behind that is if you live in a rural area, you probably have a large lot, lots space of setbacks. Around you. You're probably not going to annoy your neighbor. You're mm-hmm. probably not going to have your plants very close to probably very little chance of anyone walking onto your property and grabbing those. Right. And so the idea behind the service boundary is if you're way outside the, uh, in the rural area, it's probably okay. Right. So why don't we do that? Can we review the laws? I mean, now, I, I mean, I have particular interest knowing we were going to have the conversation, but I don't know if everyone's fully aware. Um, who wants to go? <laughs> Well, I'll start with the very basic, and that is um, we brought in uh, amendments to two bylaws. One is our nuisance bylaw, the other is the park. So there's already no tobacco smoking in our parks. So all we've done uh, with some other housekeeping amendments is say, well, cannabis is going to be included in that, and so you can't smoke cannabis in our parks. But the nuisance bylaw also says that uh, on any public land by the, owned by the municipality, so that could include our streets and sidewalks, there won't be any smoking of tobacco and cannabis. And there's a whole other uh, list of reasons for that. One of the big things is uh, ease of compliance. So if we have a bunch of compliance officers and you complain about some guy out on the street smoking, by the time a compliance officer shows up, he's finished, whether it's a, uh, a spliff or a cigarette, and then they're off. So now what do we do? Do we actually look on the ground, pick up whatever was left behind, Evidence, send it for yeah. analysis and say, oh, that was yeah. tobacco, you're okay? And so the idea is for ease of compliance, it's just easier to say no smoking of any kind, vaping, uh, cannabis, tobacco. Yeah. But um, we also put in that bylaw, the chief administrative officer for the municipality can designate smoking areas on those public lands. So we already know there's demand for uh, smoking tobacco and there will be demand for smoking cannabis, say, around uh, some of our bars in downtown. Sure. And so, you know, we're going to set up designated smoking areas where some where a group of people can go and, you know, have a little cigarette or a joint, go back into the bar and continue having a good time that evening. Yeah. Where those will be, how those will roll out, over the next few weeks and months, we'll have a better idea of that, but there will be the opportunity for that. So how... I can't even begin to think about what goes into deciding where that will be. How do you, how do you, I got the guys right here. (laughs) 
do you how do you decide that? Well, what I can say is that the staff all that works, uh, you know, getting underway in earnest, uh, figuring yeah. out where it is. I mean, the logical thing to do is kind of figure out where where do people congregate now and, and right. go from there. But it also involves talking with the businesses that are nearby. Um, and so, I mean, that work is getting underway and it's going to, yeah, it's going to be a challenge to identify where those are and I'm sure it will evolve over time. Yeah. And so, again, this is, uh, this is fascinating to me because I had not considered, you know, you would have to go out and talk to the businesses, but there are smoking areas now. There are people that are allowed to smoke and there are, sorry, there are places where people are allowed to smoke now, right? So d- does it make sense that those, those places would be the same or would you be looking to change that now that cannabis is in the mix? Well, there are areas right now where people smoke where they actually shouldn't. So right. uh, the big thing to remember in all of this is the provincial government updated the Smoke-Free Places Act. So they actually increased the distances that you're not allowed to smoke from certain areas. So trails, parks, playgrounds, right. that kind of thing. So generally speaking, I think I'm right in my measurements here, but um, you wouldn't be able to smoke within four meters, which is almost 14 feet, from a door, window, or air intake from a place of employment now. So if you're walking down, say, Spring Garden Road or Barrington Street or Argyle Street, most of those areas, you actually can't smoke under provincial legislation now because it's within 14 feet of one of those things. Unless you're literally walking right down the middle of the street, which is against the Motor Vehicle (laughs) Act, so you shouldn't be doing that anyway. So there's all kinds of people breaking that law right now. Yeah. And so the the big thing is, is we know we don't want people to be breaking the law. Canadians are generally law-abiding citizens. So what we're going to be looking at and uh, I, I don't know if Ben is going to be physically himself going around our neighborhoods. <laughs> I was going to ask that question. Be, <laughs> we, we will have staff that will be going around looking at, well, look, there's a huge amount of butts on the ground over here mm-hmm. uh, by this hospital, by this bar, by this university. You know, is this an appropriate place for a smoking area? And what I'm hoping and what I'll certainly be talking with my uh, council colleagues and with their uh, CAO is about mm-hmm can we provide nice places for people to actually smoke? So right now it's stigmatized, especially cannabis, it's criminalized. That's coming off. And as the stigma is being removed from cannabis, um, you know, not that we are Amsterdam, but can we create the kind of environment where people feel comfortable going to a particular place? So maybe we have uh, almost like a bus shelter, sort of a roof over top of sure. it, a bench or several benches, some areas where people can sit down with an ashtray mm-hmm. and actually, you know, have a good time out there. Yeah. Um, the, the federal government has said, we're going to be allowing this to happen. And so we need to be able to facilitate that in the most responsible way possible Mm -hmm. to allow that to actually happen. Um, One thing that was made clear to me, and I'm certainly in favor of legalization for a whole number of reasons, regulations, research, quality. uh, But when Mm -hmm. it comes to actually having legalized cannabis, the big thing for me is if we're going to allow it, because we do have Smoke-Free Places Act, which says we can't have, say, a... um, unlike, say, uh, Amsterdam or even British Columbia, we can't have a, a smoke bar. So if we can't have that, what can we have? And right. make sure we can facilitate those kind of uh, venues where people can go and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll just add in other type of locations we're thinking about is just uh, locations for uh, municipal employees. So transit maintenance workers or bus drivers or, you know, they can't if they can't smoke on municipal property or go walk into the street, you have to find a place where people can, you know, mm-hmm. get, Continue their habits because people there are smokers in the municipality and they need to have places where they can do that. Well, bus drivers are a good example. I've I've I ride the bus frequently, so I've been in a lot of places where you get off on the eighty or the eighty one, and the bus will stop beside the uh, uh, 
uh, what's the, the Bears Road, uh, the, the terminal prof or? professional center now, wherever it's called. Oh, so they stop right on the road there behind it and by the bowling alley. And, you know, they'll hop off the bus, they'll sit on the uh, sidewalk and they'll have a few puffs of their cigarette, they'll get back on or they'll vape on uh, a vaporizer. Um, you know, we know they're going to do that. And yeah. we know, what is it, about 17% approximately of our population smokes cigarettes. Uh, and depending on the research you look at, uh, you know, 30, 40% yeah. of people either do, will want to, or will try cannabis when it becomes legal. And so where do we provide places for those uh, people to do that? Because we've been moving towards a society where smoking, generally speaking, is not... Uh, uh, looked upon favorably. Sure, it's less socially acceptable than it once was. Yeah, yeah, much, much less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, God, my head's kind of spinning a little bit. I mean, we've been talking mostly about smoking, uh, and my understanding of the bylaws as they sit right now are that this also includes vaping. Vaping as well. Yeah. Um, so, what about things like capsules, oils? Edibles. Now, the edibles, perhaps a different discussion because we can't do that yet, but I know the NSLC is going to be selling capsules. Pop those away, I go. Yeah. Um, have you taken those things into consideration? So the current nuisance bylaw and in parks, it's only about vaping and smoking. Okay. So you can consume cannabis in different forms. And of course, the federal legislation on edibles and, and other forms will come later. Um, but from our perspective, I mean, if you're walking down the street and you happen to, you know, have some gummy bears in your pocket and you, you, you pop sure. a few, it's, it's not against the bylaw. It's really about smoking and vaping. And part of that is if you're smoking, say, a joint on the sidewalk, our sidewalks, even in a commercial district, only five, six feet wide. Right. And so if you've got a, a pregnant woman coming down the street, an eight-year-old child, you really don't want that kind of smoke going into mm. their faces. There are um, health effects to secondhand smoke, both from cannabis and from tobacco. And uh, those are negative. And if you're a medicinal user, for example, there are uh, federal and provincial exemptions around medicinal use uh, and growing as well. Yeah. And so we're not we're not touching those. The big thing for us is just the nuisance factor, the smell, the the, the smoke and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, in a year from now, we may be having another conversation sure. about edibles, where you can yeah. go, the different places. <clears throat> what we don't have is, you know, if you're um, a bar, you're a licensee, you go to the NSLC, you buy your product, you bring it to your establishment, you sell it to your clients. We don't have any rules yet for cannabis because... Um, I, I was I was watching with keen interest uh, a couple of weeks ago. There's a guy who's making beer with cannabis in it. Oh yeah, and uh, who wants to set up shop here in Nova Scotia? So you know, if we're having cannabis uh, or THC uh, laced uh, beverages, what does that mean? Where does that sure. get sold? How do you get licensed for that? We don't have any rules in place. Yeah, for cannabis licensing, we only have alcohol licensing. Man, oh man. Hey, times they are changing. Mm -hmm. I, I, so, Ben, when you think about things like like that, so somebody says, "I want to set up shop. I want to brew a cannabis infused beer," which, by the way, is kind of crazy to me anyway, because of the whole. You know, everyone's <laughs> getting their 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 shit in a knot about we're selling cannabis in the liquor store. Yet, there's people that want to just put the two together anyway. What? Is that going to be an issue for you from a planning perspective? How do you think about where are you going to be allowed to do that? 
Yeah, you know, it definitely, it definitely could be or probably will be something that we'll be have to uh, look at from a from, from our land use bylaw. So we have, uh, as you may know, we have zones all over the municipality. You can, you know, yeah, I don't, can, I don't get it. You but control, yes. <laughs> but, but you know, you, you know, you can, you can put a commercial store here and you can't over here. Yeah, and so we have that all over the place. Um, and so right now, um, uh, it would just be considered a retail use. It could pop up anywhere. Um, oh, and so it would be, it would be something that I think the municipality would want to be a bit more hands on, just to make sure it's done in an appropriate way. You know, on a main street, yeah. If that if that comes to be in the provincial, comes to be in the provincial province, has licensing those, okay. You know, on on uh, on your main streets, on your on your downtown streets, sure. Yeah. On a corner commercial street, a neighborhood street that would maybe be more appropriate for like a convenience store. You know, probably sure. not there. So we we want to uh, you know have a chance to review our bylaws and update them in a way so it's. You know, we have to accommodate it somewhere, but there's some locations are better than others. So you want so, to direct them to the right places. It sounds like currently, at least, that kind of scenario, mm-hmm. that the the alcohol and cannabis combined, would be more an issue of the zoning about retail locations than it would be about cannabis infused beer. It, 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 well, it could be like we. For example, if you if you want to open a bar, you have to get a provincial li- uh, license now. Sure. But you also have to meet municipal zoning, and we define we call them lounges. Or, um, but you have to the zone has to say you can do that there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not all zones say that. That's just because there's a, it's a commercial zone doesn't mean that you can open o- open a lounge there. Mm. Um, and so I think it'd be the similar type of property framework would happen if should we should we get kind of edible lounges or you know kind of cannabis cafes in the future, Yeah, um, you could very well expect a municipality to be involved with zonings and, you know, public meetings potentially around around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking a little bit still about the the idea of the smoking issue and the, and the nuisance bylaw, which again, recently, I didn't know there was actually a thing called the nuisance bylaw. It's somehow entertaining to me. <laughs> but, but Well, and one has to also ask themselves, is cannabis really a nuisance? Well, but, I wasn't going to go there, but now we have to go there. Um, uh, but where I was going to go was, uh, I guess my understanding of that law is really around both odor and secondhand smoke. Well, and so uh, under the nuisance bylaw too, where we restrict people from growing it openly on their land, uh, yeah. so it has to be within the service boundary in a in a shed, a greenhouse, that kind of thing. Yeah. So part of it is the smell. So we know at flowering the the plants are quite odorous. Yeah. Um, you know more so than most other plants, but one of the concerns that we have is also around uh, security. So like the the pool where you have to put a fence around it. Mm-hmm. I can envision, and, and and probably I can envision this better because I have an 18-year-old and a 12-year-old, but I can envision, you know, hordes of marauding 14 and 15-year-old boys running through neighborhoods, <laughs> picking up everyone's plants and, you know, bringing them back to their places and yeah. trying to dry them out. Um, and so, you know, one of the things we have to think about is also the, uh, under the nuisance bylaws, the, the security and safety implications of neighborhoods. Sure. And, uh, you know, the... As I understand it, I'm not fully informed in this. I'm not a botanist or biologist, but um, you know, you you have to do some processing to the plant to actually make it potent uh, with a higher right. level of THC, and otherwise it's just sort of hemp. Yeah, um, yeah. And so the idea that you know there's certain things you would have to do to this with the uh, the uh, the interwebs these days, kids can go online find you know sure. plans for you know 3D printed guns. They can find all kinds of stuff on how to cure and and process uh, uh, cannabis mm. plants. So, you know, we have to think about those things as well. And as Ben said earlier about the service boundary, you know, if you're in a, in a very rural area and you have lots of acreage and you grow it, probably not a big deal. But if you've got, you know, 20 feet between you and your neighbor 
and you have no fence around it and it's available to people, there's a very good chance knowing already. I mean, you can look at almost every other day there's a dispensary being robbed in Halifax. Sure. Just uh, two nights ago, there was one up on the Bedford Highway. Yeah. Uh, consistently, we saw the ones up on, uh, on uh, what was it, Gric- Gricola, uh, you know, the, yeah, yeah. and uh, Queen Mary. And, you know, so all of these ones, uh, we know there's a, a group an, uh, of people that they're an element that wants to get what they want for free. Yeah. And if it's available out there, if people got four plants and you've got several people in a row that have four and four and four, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to run it tonight. I'm going to grab 12 or 20 plants. So part of it is a safety consideration. Part of it is. Yeah. yeah. Which is something, again, I hadn't thought of. I, I got kind of hung up on the odor thing. And, it, you know, it's like like what you were saying. I, I'm i not 100% clear on when it starts to smell. Um, but I'm hung up on that because I want to ask, ask this question. I feel like I've been wanting to ask this for a while. The smell thing in the nuisance bylaw related to cannabis, I, I can, I guess, makes sense. But how does it work? And either one of you can can kind of respond to this when we're not far from the Olin Brewery right now. <laughs> and I can tell you there are some moments when it smells pretty bad. What about that? <laughs> well, Nobody wants I'll, to take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, have a go. I'll have a go with that. Um, I mean, the overall, the, the, the approach to the nuisance bylaw um, – I think, as you know, was kind of mentioned at council a number of times, is that the the staff recommendation was about taking a, a cautious approach to start off, start off, and then loosen up once you know. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the lessons learned from from the the states and other jurisdictions. Is it's yeah. much easier to loosen things up than to tighten things up. Sure. So that's part of the reasoning is that let's let's start tightening. If we find out that, you know, four plants outside on on and Peninsula isn't a big deal. You, Council can loosen it up later, mm-hmm. but it's harder to go back the other way if it turns out to be a problem. Um, something like the Old Old Brewery and other ones. Uh, I mean, because it was done in the past uh, yeah. doesn't mean it was something <laughs> you want to repeat in the future. Right. Uh, but also, you know, as time goes on, maybe there is a more an acceptance level with people mm-hmm. get used to the smell. And it's not a big deal, and council would have the ability to loosen things mm-hmm. up. Um, I guess, so, so those are really my two two answers. You, you don't necessarily want to repeat the mistakes that are past. If that's something that sure. really, really doesn't fit well in the, in the neighborhood now, then doesn't mean we need to keep on repeating it. So if you were planning the neighborhood now, would the Olin Brewery be right where it is? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I didn't expect to go here. It just hurt me yeah. now. I was like, <laughs> it's right there. Well, yeah. and, so but, and that's... From, and that's from, Sorry, and that's the thing we're thinking a lot about with uh, yeah. production facilities. Uh, we're we'll talking a lot, a lot about the nuisance bylaw. In the next week or two, we'll be at, back at council with uh, amendments to our land use bylaws about production facilities and where are those located and thinking right. about buffering. And one of the things we're thinking about is, again, the, the, the smell of it. Sure. Uh, and the smell increases with the number of plants. So in Denver, for example, in, in Boulder, when they brought in uh, legalization, one of the things they had to develop was actually sort of a smell kit. And it looks oh, like wow. a bullhorn that you can put up to your face and it has readings on it. And it will tell you how much uh, odor is coming from one of these facilities. And, um, you know, when you have hundreds, thousands of plants growing in one particular area, especially if they're enclosed in a building, the smell is huge. Yeah. If you've got four plants, and especially with some of these micro cultivations, if you can do, uh, what is it, 1,250 square feet, I forget what it is in meters, um, you know, you, you, you could get several hundred, maybe a couple thousand plants in there. That's going to have some odor. So do we want that downtown? I mean, you know, with... I don't mind the smell of cannabis so much. I don't. I, in fact, I love the smell of <laughs> when they're malting and adding the hops up here at the yeah. Ellsbury. That's an awesome smell for me. And yeah. like coffee roastery, you know, you can go down Shabukta Road by yeah. um, uh, oh, what's the place there on 
Oh, where they do all the coffee roasting, right on Shabakdo near Robo. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know. It'll come to me. But your point and is, you like the smell of coffee. <laughs> I love the smell when they're roasting those beans. It's got yeah. a really earthy smell to it. Yeah. Um, smell is a is is something that varies by culture and by by group. I know there's a tribe in uh, in a couple of African countries that measure wealth by how much uh, farmland you have, and so they will actually take cow poo and rub it on themselves to smell like they're wealthy. Uh, no shit. Oh yeah. Well, quite, quite <laughs> lots of shit. Lots of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so look, the smells that we get used to, whether it's lilacs or whether it's cannabis or whether it's cow poo. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've driven through the country in in Muscadabit. My wife is from Middle Muscadabit. When you drive through, then you could smell the the pig manure it's spread yeah. on the field. Uh, I'll say, do you smell that? She said, yeah, it smells like money. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. I guess it's all perspective, right? And and that's, um, so the laws were announced, I guess it was earlier this week, and and there's been lots of reaction. Uh, I've, I've <laughs> heard the people on the radio. I've read the comments online. I think I read a couple of news stories. And I would, I, I, I picked out this quote um, from Councillor Richard Zaroski. Um, who suggested, as you sort of suggested earlier, Ben, that maybe things are just a little heavy-handed at the moment. I think his words were to regulate people's behavior with fines. He kind of went on to say cannabis is far safer than tobacco or alcohol. Secondhand smoke is not a problem. We're already kind of dealing with that. Um, And there are many plants out there that are more dangerous than what we're talking about. Um, that's really just a point to suggest that some of the reactions to the laws have, have been pretty bad. Um, and when I listen to you guys talk about it, I, I'm just kind of um, dumbfounded by all of the perspectives that you absolutely need to consider. And so how do you react? I mean, I don't know if you're reading your own press. <laughs> the general rule of thumb is don't read your own press. But, but how, does, how do you feel when you hear these reactions? I've done I've done a fair bit of media this week, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was on a talk show the other day. The so and I, I can't actually disagree much with uh, with Richard. And so you know, you can think of tomatoes and potatoes, part of the nightshade family. You know, if you eat the leaves, they're they're poisonous. Um, so there there are plants that we grow that are quite legal that you know people are comfortable with. And I think part of this is a, a, an aspect of comfort and novelty. Mm-hmm. This is new to us. I mean, we prohibition has been in place for what seventy, eighty years, ninety, the, ninety years, ninety years. So, uh, you know, this is something we're going to have to adjust to. We're going to have to get acclimatize ourselves to. Um, I would also uh, agree with him in the sense that, on a personal level, is it better to uh, consume cannabis than alcohol? Probably, but you have to look at also um, uh, and and perhaps even epidemiologically. Um, you know, there's far greater uh, health ills to alcohol than there are to cannabis. Part of that, though, is the percentage of people who consume each of those different intoxicants. Mm. So, you know, a far greater percentage of our population drink than smoke cannabis. Um, You know, should we move people in one direction or the other? I'll I'll leave that to others. But (laughs) uh, when we look at um, how this is coming in, uh, as Ben alluded to, you know, the idea, the advice we're given by the lawyers, by those who've been involved in this on our compliance side, is that if if you tighten up early, you can loosen up as you go. Yeah. The problem is if you start with no rules or very few rules, mm-hmm. to then try to bring in rules to get people into compliance is very difficult. And the kind of language that we hear, some of it is hyperbolic. So you think about, go back 15, 20 years ago when uh, no smoking was brought into restaurants, bars, and so on. Yeah. The sky was going to fall. All these businesses <laughs> were going to go out of business. You yeah. know, We were going to kill our city. Um, 
But California did it. We did it. Ontario did it. The rest of the world did it. Mm-hmm. People in Europe, it's it's still much looser. But in most of the world today, you can't go into most confined employment uh, spaces and smoke anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're moving in a direction where you know we're we're curtailing this, and it seems reasonable. Did we overshoot a little bit? Maybe. But the great thing is, is this is going to be an iterative process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, guys like Ben are going to be doing a lot of research over the next year or two, looking at how did this affect this area? How did this affect this area? What are the people saying about this? What has the impact been on this? And we're going to get some more data back to us and we're going to talk about you know, more things at council. Well, maybe we should increase the number of designated areas. Maybe we should allow, you know, outdoor open growing in all of HR. And maybe Mm. there's a whole bunch of things we'll have to look at. And it is possible that we overreached, we overshot. um, But I think the advice to us so far has been do that and then loosen up if it's not a problem. Sure. So Mm. is, is the reaction surprising you at all? Uh, no, it isn't. Because so, depending on which platform you're talking about, Twitter, for example, is not exactly representative of the entire population. <laughs> uh, and Twitter has probably been eighty percent. What are you guys crazy? What the fuck are you thinking about? We're like, mm-hmm. oh my god, the sky's falling. The guys are crazy. Yeah. Um, the emails, the phone calls, the personal interaction I've had has been much more favorable from the uh, you know uh, heart and lung associations, from our yeah. our medical health uh, officer of health, from uh, health promotion officials at the IWK at uh, Nova Scotia Health Authority are all saying, "Wow, this is fantastic! I can't believe you guys are doing this. We're really leading the way here in trying to get this." Now, the other point to this is, if we do this, <laughs> then all of those provincial and federal folks are going to have to step up their game in terms of uh, support and sustainability programs and other things because if we're yeah. restricting people from where they can smoke especially on the tobacco <clears throat> side we better be helping them somewhere else sure. so that they can uh, yeah. get off that one comment we haven't touched on this one comment i've heard that has some legitimacy to it that i am uh, actually concerned about is the disproportionate that this effect that this could have on uh, marginalized communities especially homeless uh, people oh. so y- you walk down spring garden road barrington quinpool road and you know it's difficult to miss uh, the folks who are not enjoying all of the economic benefits that our society has to offer. Right. And uh, many of those are smokers. And, uh, and I've, 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 uh, you know, had many requests, you know, can you spare some money? Can you spare a smoke and helped out where I could? And, you know, of course they're not always smoking, but they will go get some and then smoke it. We better make sure that we have supports in place for those folks. And mm-hmm. we better make sure that we have places where they can smoke so that, you know, what I, what I don't want to see is uh, a compliance officer, police officer, finding another excuse to push people off the medians of our roads or off the sidewalks of our streets mm-hmm. just because they're poor. And for me, that does keep me up at night. Sure. Yeah. On this topic, I just add um, that, you know, in terms of uh, the public reaction, or it's just uh, we have a lot of work to do on communications, just getting, just making sure people are informed because, you know, yes, some people are paying attention in this. Uh, positive and negative sure. reactions, but there's a whole a lot of people out there that just don't even know this has happened, don't even know that this, yeah. is, this is going on. Um, so we realize we have a lot of work to do to just getting the message out, getting letting people know that this bylaw exists, and yeah. picking the locations and people uh, the locations where it's uh, okay to smoke and making sure people know where to find them. Um, there's a lot of work to do in the coming coming weeks and months to just get make people aware. Yeah, you know it's funny you say that. I, I don't disagree with you. I think I think that. Uh, you know, even for me, and again, 
my interest is motivated by having this platform and being able to bring you in and discuss it. So I intentionally go out and look for the rules and look at what people are saying about it. But but I'm not sure that if I wasn't doing this that I'd be that eager to go dig the information up. And so I, I think there's some truth to to the idea that we've got to figure out a way to make people understand. The other thing that I'm finding is that when you do dig it up and you start reading it or talking to people and hearing from guys like you, you realize it's not as cut and dry as everybody would like to think it is. And uh, I mean, even for me, that was the learning that I had. Now, I'm fortunate. Uh, I, I've, uh, according to the bylaw, I can grow. So <laughs> I'm good. Hmm. But... Uh, but um, Ben, with relation to the planning and the things that you have to consider in not only what's happening right now, but what may happen in a few years, have you been looking to other cities, other countries, other jurisdictions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We we started that work uh, over a year ago. We, I mean, in Canada, you first look out west because they're, they're a little bit of ahead because I mean, sure. Vancouver started licensing being involved even before it was legal. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they've been in the game for a while. Um, and obviously, you look into Colorado and other places in the state. So there's there's a growing uh, amount of research and items out there. But at the same time, in Canada, it hasn't, you know, until October 17th, it hasn't really happened yet. So no yeah. one really knows how many people really will grow four plants at home. Is it really going to be an issue or mm-hmm. is it going to become, uh, you know, people will, it's so much easier to buy it. So nobody will do that. We don't really know, have answers to those questions. We're just trying to extrapolate from the other lessons learned from other places and doing the best we can to see, you know, translate that to the Halifax and uh, sure. being proactive about getting, being ready. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am reminded daily that this hasn't happened before, right? So <laughs> we're, we're figuring this out as we go. I mean, where do you look, right? I mean, even if you look to the U.S., it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not regulated. Well, and it's different too in that um, if you look at, say, uh, Colorado, um, they are a, an island of legalization in an area where it's not accepted. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening in places like Denver and Boulder is you had a lot of people moving in who uh, were growing and were processing and were retailing. And um, because of that, you had some nefarious elements that were taking advantage of that who didn't want to just sell in Colorado, who then were also exporting to other places. So um, on the processing side, one of the things I don't envy Ben and his staff in, in terms of looking at where you can grow and process these at in an industrial level is the processing is actually very dangerous. So when you think about some of the chemicals that they use to strip the THC out of the plant itself, especially butane, which is very cheap and mm-hmm. easy, um, it's very flammable. And explosive. So uh, one of the things that Denver uh, encountered was within the first year of legalization, they had something like a 30% increase in fires in the city because you had now both wow. uh, small producers and individuals. Once the stigma comes off and it's available, people start getting it. You could stick a bunch of bud in, uh, in, a, in a, a conduit tube, uh, cap it at each end, then start pumping butane in and try to extract the, uh, the honey oil at the end. But as soon as you start doing that, uh, static electricity, heat, um, any kind of spark mm-hmm. will then blow Ignite the place it. up. Yeah. And we've seen pictures of, you know, homes, like half a home uh, gone yeah. uh, because of explosions. We've seen uh, industrial facilities where you have, you know, people with third degree bone burns on 80% of their body uh, because of, of trying these kind of things. And one of the things we need to ensure is once we get, because processing is not legal now, only the growing and drying of the bud is, once we get into processing edibles, all of those other things, all those other things, we got to figure out where you can do that. Because yeah. once it becomes legal, 
do we do that? You know, how what's the setback from residents? Is it an industrial zone? Where do we? What is there a particular yeah. industrial zone? So you know, I look at a guy like Ben. I think, man, I Good would luck. not want your job over Good the luck, next ben. year. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned another week or two for a staff report on that. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I gotta say, I, you guys know your shit. Like, um, and I'm saying that with a bit of surprise, and and and, and with no offense, but again. I don't know who knows what about this stuff, you know, and, and, um, you know, you run into people in certain roles and they, you, you assume they're supposed to know a lot about what's going on and maybe they don't. And, and then you make assumptions of people, but maybe they don't know and they actually do. I'm, I'm happy to hear how, uh, informed you guys seem to be about kind of what's going on and, and everything that's involved in what's going on, because it's good to know, in my opinion, that the people making some of these decisions, have the information they need to make those decisions. So that's a, uh, I'm really pleased and I'm, I'm actually surprised because I am. And, and it's nothing against you guys. I don't know. I just met you guys. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have met. Um, I want to bring up two other topics. And the first one is going to be medicinal patients. And so, of course, you know, you're going to have people that are prescribed to use in whatever format that they are supposed to or allowed to ingest. And, of course, I, I know that medicinal patients are encouraged not to smoke. So a lot of those patients may be vaping. I know a lot of them are probably using oil. But how do you respond to that issue? So I'm prescribed. I, I'm supposed to use this. There are exemptions federally and provincially around medicinal cannabis. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and the clinicians that I've talked to so far, I know there's a, a, a big group here in Halifax, the trauma healing centers that I've talked to a number of times in some of the dispensaries. And many of them do encourage their patients to use oils or vape because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, smoking is generally not a healthy thing. And so if you, it really is medicinal, you want to do it as healthful as possible. But uh, in terms of growing, so if you are uh, a medical patient, you still have the option of designating a, another grower. You still have the option of buying online. You still have the option of growing yourself and your plant um, allocation is actually much larger than the four plants allowed for recreation. Okay. And so there are a lot of exemptions. The, the one thing we just need to make sure of, uh, and that is with the... Um, uh, the, the smoke-free places and with our own nuisance bylaw in terms of smoking on municipal land is do we have enough places for folks to smoke if they choose to smoke for medical uh, purposes? Uh, do we have places for them? Not to say that that has to be everywhere. Um, you know, for example, I don't personally witness people popping Advil walking down Spring Garden sure, Road. Yeah. I don't see people injecting themselves mm -hmm. with insulin on Quinpool. Uh, but we do know that people are going to need uh, places for uh, for cannabis. Mm -hmm. Where those are, how we do that, you know, that's coming. And uh, but you know, for people who have legitimate medical reasons for doing this, I feel for them, and, and, and we're going to try and accommodate them as much as possible. So you'll, you're considering exceptions for those that need them. Well, there are already uh, exceptions federally within the the legislation. Okay. So we just want to make sure that our uh, bylaws don't infringe on their rights as right. it relates to those federal that federal legislation. Right. Wow. Okay. So someone's been caught. <laughs> How is this going to be managed? I mean, my thought would be, well, I'm thinking about this now as I'm about to ask the question. My thought would be, okay, we have the laws. It's meant to say to people, look, this is the stance that we're taking on this. Please follow along and everything will be fine. With that in mind, I think really how tough are people going to really be? Um, 
some I caught somebody smoking a joint on the sidewalk. What am I supposed to do when I see that? So. Well, I'm hoping, and and one of the great things about having been here is uh, actually within his unit, our compliance staff are part of planning and development. Mm-hmm. So he could speak to the actual um, um, logistics of how those people function. But from my perspective. Because they're compliance staff, and I'm using my fingers for air quotes, which your audience can't see, uh, (laughs) we really want them to be complying with the law. And Canadians generally are law-abiding citizens. So the fine for smoking on public land uh, ranges from $25 to Mm -hmm. Mm $1,000. So the idea is, first of all, we don't want to fine them. We just want to, especially in the first year or two, just make them aware, as Ben said earlier, about educating them. Mm -hmm. So if a compliance officer is called out or if they're proactively going to an area that uh, has been a hotspot, they can just go there and say, hey, did you see the signs? Did you know about the new bylaw? Did you know you're not allowed to smoke here? Did yeah. you know 50 meters down the road there's a designated smoking area? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very hopeful, and certainly that's our direction to our chief administrative officer, is this is more about compliance and education sure. than it is about being punitive. Yeah. But I'll let Ben speak to uh, to uh, how compliance officers yeah. actually function. Yeah. Well, no, I- I think uh, I think you said it said it just right. I mean, the goal with with any bylaw, not just these new nuisance bylaws, is, is compliance. It's not punishment. Right. So it's not about oh, we caught you. Here's a fine. It's it's you know having that chat. Did you know this bylaw exists? Can you mm-hmm. here's here's the designated years. Can you move over here next time? And those, those fines only come in place if there's somebody who's really thumbing your thumbing your nose at the right. at the rules and you see them again and again and again. Yeah. Um, that's when those fines come in come into play and you, you know, ramp things ramp, ramp up the enforcement. Enforcement from there, but really, whether it's a land use bylaw or these nuisance bylaws or any number of bylaws we have yeah. in the city, the goal is compliance to get people in line with the law so without was, without you know making it too difficult for people. So that will definitely be the approach for this case, as uh, Councilor Cleary said. It's about informing people first of all, letting them know mm-hmm. this exists, letting them know where they can smoke. Uh, you know, and in, in, in meeting the laws, uh, most people want to comply. Sure. And, uh, and, and of course, in, internally, that we have a this hiring to do, this education to do, training, training. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, you know, we're going to be learning as we go as well. Is the fine? Would you consider the fine to be a last resort? Generally, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what what's the difference between a twenty five dollar fine and a thousand dollar fine? Like, what would constitute? That it, well, so I mean, that's up to the discretion of the compliance officer. But in my mind. You know, if you organize a 420 event that didn't get a permit to be on Citadel Hill and you've got a thousand people out there and everyone's smoking, I'm thinking you get a thousand dollar fine. A 420 event, okay. But if it's uh, a uh, if it's a uh, you know a single individual and you know they're caught for the first, second, third time, right? You know that's that's kind of like, dude, come on, get off the sidewalk. You know, there's a spot down here where you could be smoking that. Um, but yeah, so you know that that range is really for different kind of situations that the compliance officer mm. may find themselves in with a particular individual or group. Um, but generally, as Ben said, it's about compliance. It's about just saying, hey, please don't do this. It's not legal. And particularly in the early months and years of this, mm. um, you know, we're not trying to make money out of this. And in fact, just the opposite. So this, we figure by hiring eight compliance officers, a supervisor, and manager, yeah. this is really about... Um, getting money from the provincial government because the federal government said, hey, that dollar per gram, we're going to charge people as a tax on this. We're going to share 75, 25 between the federal government and the provincial government. Has that been confirmed? Well, so the federal government had made a commitment 
that they'll take 25% of the dough yeah. and give 75% of the provinces, but the provinces have to share right. that 75% with their municipalities okay. because we're the one who have the police. So we've got the roadside saliva tests. We've mm-hmm. got the training that police have to And you're paying for that. Well, so the federal government is paying for some of that, yeah. but we have to pay for some of that. And when it comes to our bylaws and we have to hire staff and we have to do things, there's a recognition that the provincial government, we haven't sat down at a table and worked at the details and the numbers right, yet, right. but we know there's going to be some money coming our way. And we just want to make sure that we're getting enough to cover our costs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I've had some people say, well, if, if it's going to cost you $970,000 yeah, to hire those people, I of course that. you're going to give tickets. Yeah. No, the, 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 we're, we don't want to give the tickets. We want the provincial government to give us the money to cover that stuff. And then just get people to understand what the bylaws are. Just get are. the laws out there. Yeah. 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 Wow. My God, you said something earlier and I've forgotten what it was. Oh, I know what it was. You said a f- planning for a 420 party. <laughs> so here's a question. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of this. Ben, I'm looking at you. So let's say an organization says we want to plan a 420 festival in the city. Whoever whoever they go to and ask about doing that, is that your thing? Are you the one that says, here's where you can do it, here's where you can't? I'm going to get uh, you in trouble now. <laughs> no. Uh, definitely not me personally, and, uh, and probably depending on where. Uh, if it's in a park, it'd be, we have a parks and recreation department. That would pop, That's where those types of requests go if they want to. Yeah. If anybody wants to set up an event or, or, or have something... Um, uh, it really depends on what you know. There, there are people. There are people now who come to uh, municipality to close down a local street to have a street street party. Right, right. And they go through a, a certain process with our, our public works department, transportation and public works department is, is the one that that takes care of that. So it really depends on the nature of the ask. Sure. Um, someone, some things are more reasonable, more easy to accommodate. There's a there's some paperwork to fill out, and, mm-hmm. and off you go. And other ones are you know depending on what it is, might just be no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. It begs uh, again. This is a whole other area I didn't consider. But if somebody did want to do something like that in, in a park, that would go against the the which rule would that go against? So that would be under the parks bylaw. Okay, if it's in a park. So so if the park was the best place to do something like that, then would an, an exception be made if it was deemed yes, we can allow this, and this is the best place we can do it? It could be. So under the nuisance bylaw, it gives there's a clause that gives the chief administrative officer or his designate the um, option to allow either permanently or temporarily a designated smoking area. Sure. So if someone came to the city and said, hey, we want to have a 420 party on the commons. Yeah. um, They could uh, petition the CAO and say, we would like to do this. Will you allow us and give us a a temporary uh, uh, smoking area? And he would be able to say, you know what? either under my own power, and he has that under his own power. If he feels that maybe this is very public, very large, he might bring it to council and say, hey, just by the way, do you guys want to have a vote on this? Yeah. Um, maybe it's a way to cover his own ass. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, it could it could just potentially be asking the city and say, hey, can we, get, can we do this? Yeah. And uh, we have an administrative order. It's called uh, AO53. And so, yes, uh, the provincial legislation for liquor doesn't allow you to have open liquor on a street. But we have an administrative order that actually gives us exemptions. It says, if you wanted to get a special occasion liquor permit to have a party on Argyle Street, sure. to, to have, a, um, you know, we have a, a couple of parks, we have several streets where people could actually do this under the administrative order. Mm-hmm. And so someone could get a liquor license and shut down a street and have, a, you know, a tent and a cordoned off area and serve alcohol. 
It is possible that we could set up a similar process either under the same administrative order or a different one and have something similar where if someone wanted to get together in an outdoor space and have a cannabis party, sure, we could permit that as well. We haven't engaged in that process yet. And the CIO would have the ability just to designate the area. But in terms of having a formal process, we'll probably go down that road in the next yeah. year or two yeah. as well. Yeah, you know, I just add, I mean, as you've been talking about earlier, I mean, this is new territory for everyone. So yeah. I can't point to, well, this is how, this is how it worked last sure. year. Sure. Yeah. We have, we, we've never done it before. Yeah. So, um, you know, exactly how they would all roll out would all, lots of depends, but there's lots of also built in flexibility, whether it's the CIO and, and administration level or, you know, going back to council with asking them to make an exception or, yeah. or, or to change rules. I mean, again, uh, you raise the 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 reminding point that this is all brand new and that still, you know, we lose the plot sometimes, right? We get into these conversations about the bylaws or where it's being sold. Like, this is happening. Um, I would imagine that there will be many circumstances that have, we haven't considered yet. And the, the, the idea of someone hosting, uh, sorry, hosting a cannabis party in the street, it's going to happen. Someone is going to want to do it. You know, and and now we know who to ask. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we'll try and wrap this up, but I guess I'm going to ask you to look ahead to the future. You talked a little bit about this idea of of um, uh, I forget the phrase that we use, but just really being a little bit aggressive on the bylaws now, and perhaps loosening and loosening them up as as we go. What do you think it's going to look like in a few years? I'm hoping looser. So. Mm -hmm. um, I think not that there's been uh, hysteria, but there's certainly been a lot of very cautious, conservative approach to uh, looking at cannabis. Yeah. I don't personally, I don't think um, that it's going to be the end of the world as some others do. So, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, if, if we get some experience over the next year or so with people growing four plants and even at flowering, it doesn't smell that bad then we should let them grow it outside. Should there be setbacks from their neighbor's property? Maybe. Should there be a fence around it? I think so. But, you know, uh, as we move forward, if it comes to, uh, you know, I, I've spent some time in Europe and I, I certainly love when you're in France or, or uh, some other countries when you're able to go into a public park, when you're able to just open a bottle of wine and, yeah, you yeah. know, have a little picnic. Yeah. You know, we can't do that in Nova Scotia. Our liquor laws don't allow for that. So eventually, and this isn't something the municipal government has control over, but there are certain things that I would like to see as experience uh, comes, we begin to just chill out a little bit, yeah, relax that, yeah. you know, this is not going to be as bad as some people think it is. Mm -hmm. um, that actually, though, makes Ben's job more difficult because the more changes we actually do, the more work he has to do in terms mm -hmm. of figuring out what are the nuances. Because the, when you're, when it is black and white, it's easy. Yeah. Yes, no. When it's maybe, maybe here, maybe there, maybe a little bit there, maybe not so much here, that's when it gets really complicated and when, you know, when you're trying to write a land use bylaw or yeah. a parks bylaw, it's, that makes it actually much more difficult from a staff perspective. Wow. Well, gentlemen, I, uh, I, I'm not sure that I admire your roles in these, in these days at the, at the current moment, but I have uh, gained a tremendous amount of respect for the way that you cle clearly seem to be looking at this. Uh, 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 there's probably lots of other things you've had to consider that we haven't even discussed. And uh, I'll be very interested to see how things go as we roll it out and and uh, get a sense for what's going on. I mean, I, I often ask the question, do we think legalization is a good thing? And there's lots of responses to that. The best answer I've ever heard from that was, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. 
All right. And so we are making history in a few months. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can only imagine that other jurisdictions, other cities, other countries will be watching to see what we did and how we got it right or got it wrong and, and learned from us. So it's an exciting time. I thank you both for uh, taking the afternoon to come in and chat. And uh, I probably will have you back as things roll out and we'll see how it's all going. So uh, thanks again. Thanks, Sean. Okay. Thanks for having us. Wow, uh, that was a good one. <laughs> I, I found myself really wanting to talk a lot longer, and and I do think we'll look to maybe revisit that discussion with Sean and Ben. So Sean Cleary and Ben Seaback, city planners, counselors, professors of management, and all kinds of interesting things that I had never considered before. And and I'll be the first to admit that up until recently, most of the things that I thought about related to legalization were from a federal or provincial level. And not only, um, not until recently had I really considered the amount of work that must need to go into this municipal level of bylaws and planning. You know, I've seen the, um, the, a lot of the feedback and a lot of the reaction to the laws lately. And of course, people are not responding very well. But I think it makes sense when you consider the way that these guys have considered it. This idea that we have to kind of make the laws tight at first, see how things go and go from there. And as they said, it's going to be easier to re- reduce and relax the laws than it will be to tighten them. So I, I think I have some empathy for that that maybe I didn't have before. You know, I did learn a lot in this discussion, including the idea that there are nuisance laws. I had no idea. Uh, that's kind of entertaining to me. And something that Sean said that, that um, and we were chatting a little bit off, off air about this, was one of the benefits of legalization that I had not considered is going to be the ability to get valid research and scientific evidence of all of the benefits, pros and cons of of the product. So he's looking forward to to how that rolls out uh, in the in the future. They did remind us all that we are leading the way. You know, I, I felt bad for Ben as I was watching him answer the question when I asked him whether what other jurisdictions was he could he look towards to get information. And you know, he makes an interesting point. There aren't many. You can only look to what people have done, but nobody's about to do what we're doing. So we are leading the way, and and it was another reminder uh, to me of that. The other thing that I. I was very impressed was with was the knowledge that these guys had on on the subject matter and uh, the whole idea of fires being caused by butane usage to extract the the chemicals. Um, I don't even know how that works uh, myself, but he certainly seemed to have some knowledge of that, and I was very impressed with with that. And that I think was my biggest surprise. And uh, Ben and Sean, if you're listening. Please don't take this the wrong way. You have to understand that a few days ago, I had not considered these rules or the people that make them. And so I, I think that my assumption was, what do these people know about this? And uh, and to my surprise, you seem to know an awful lot about it. And you've considered all the angles. And despite the reactions from the press and what people are saying, uh, I have a lot of empathy and respect for the decisions and choices that you've made. So I want to thank Sean and Ben for coming in and for doing what they're doing in the city and, and as they navigate this new, uh, this new world that we're about to live in in a few months. So uh, congratulations to you both. You're listening to Turning a New Leaf, produced by the Village Soundcast Network. I'm your host, Sean King, and we'll talk to you in a few weeks. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.